conference playoffs wrap up this week with all six conference finals set to take place over the weekend. The 10 Hobie Baker Award finalists have been named. It's time for the Women's Frozen Four. And if you're listening to this the day it goes up, happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm Tim Williams, and this is Puck University. Before I set the stage for this weekend's action, I should recap what happened Thursday night in the world of college hockey. The Big Ten tournament got underway at Joe Lewis Arena. Ohio State took the first game 6-3 over Michigan State. The Spartans did manage to take the lead at the end of the first period, but Ohio State rode a three-goal third to the 6-3 victory. The Buckeyes will play Wisconsin in the second round. Penn State also won at Joe Lewis Arena. They beat Michigan 4-1. That sends Penn State to a semifinal matchup with regular season champion Minnesota. It also all but certainly seals the Nittany Lions NCAA tournament bid. They are pretty much a shoe-in for being selected to the tournament now, no matter what happens in the semifinal. Also Thursday night, Hockey East had their annual awards ceremony, where Zach Aston Reese of Northeastern was awarded the 2017 Hockey East Player of the Year Award. Boston University forward Clayton Keller was named the Pro Ambitions Rookie of the Year, and UMass Lowell head coach Norm Bazin collected his third Bob Cullen Award as the Bauer Coach of the Year. And now it's time for the conference semifinals and all the major conferences. In Hockey East, those semifinals start Friday evening. It'll be Notre Dame versus UMass Lowell and Boston University versus Boston College. Of course, as it always does, the ComAv rivalry looms large. When those games happen, when BU and BC play each other, it just drowns out everything else that happens in college hockey in the Northeast a lot of the time. But it's not going to this time because the University of Massachusetts Lowell, Norm Bazin's squad, has been a stalwart in Hockey East of late. They've made the conference finals four years running. This would be the fifth year. If they get past Notre Dame on Friday, as they very well might, that would put the Riverhawks in the final for the fifth straight year. In a deep conference like Hockey East, that would be an accomplishment for an established powerhouse, But Lowell is not an established powerhouse. They were built really quickly, almost on the fly by Bazin, after years of kind of being a middling program in Hockey East. So their game against Notre Dame, which if Lowell wins it, would be Notre Dame's final game in Hockey East before moving to the Big Ten next year. That's a big game for the Riverhawks, and it's It's on equal footing with that huge rivalry between BU and BC, which would be pretty historic because if BU wins again, they will have swept the rivalry for the year. That includes the Beanpot, and that would include postseason play. So that would be a real monumental move in that rivalry as well. And Hockey East semifinal and final, that's Friday night and Saturday night. 
As I mentioned earlier, the Big Ten semifinals will be Ohio State versus Wisconsin and Penn State versus Minnesota. It seems like all four of these teams are probably going to go to the NCAA tournament, so this is going to be a really fascinating finale at Joe Louis Arena. More to the point, it's a great send-off for Joe Louis Arena, which has been very good to college hockey over the years. It's really unfortunate that, that Joe never got to host the Frozen Four, because it's been such a great hockey arena, and Detroit's such a great hockey town, and of course Michigan and Michigan State have been, as well as Michigan Tech, a part of hockey in college hockey for a very long time. So it, it's kind of a shame that the Joe never got to host the Frozen Four, but of course it's been busy that time of year with the Red Wings so consistently over the years. It's a wonderful old, older hockey arena. I, I almost said old, but not quite really that old. But it's being replaced by a really nice arena as well. And it's a shame to see it go, but it's nice to see that it will go out with quite a college hockey tournament. This will be one really good send-off for college hockey at the Joe. They've done such a good job over the years and they deserve to get a final tournament like this. Another famous American hockey arena in Lake Placid, New York, the ECAC semifinals and final will go down this weekend. Quinnipiac takes on Harvard and Cornell faces Union in the semifinals. These are again four very good teams. Quinnipiac is the one that's not going to the tournament unless they are to win this turn unless they are to win this weekend and they very well might do that but this is also a great opportunity for a Harvard team who's looking for bigger trophies looking for the national championship to prove once again as they did back in February that this is a team that can win those big playoff games that can take on the best teams they're going to get a good taste of that against Quinnipiac and against whoever wins that Cornell Union game and you know, for a small conference, the Atlantic is going to have quite a semifinal matchup. Robert Morris takes on Canisius in the early game on Friday, but the late game is a real treat. It will be Air Force taking on Army West Point, an all-service academy nightcap at Blue Cross Arena in Rochester. The winner will go on to play the winner of Robert Morris and Canisius, and Air Force and Canisius are, of course, co-favorites in this tournament for the auto bid from the Atlantic. Whichever one wins that will get the auto bid. The other one, and this is going to be a new thing for the Atlantic, they won't make an, the tournament as an at-large selection, but they will be one of the best teams left out of the tournament, whichever one lo loses between Air Force and Canisius. The one conference tournament that really hasn't gone according to plan is the WCHA, where the final will be Bowling Green at Michigan Tech, as opposed to Bemidji State, who had dominated the conference all year being in the championship game, because of course they were knocked out last week by Bowling Green in what was a considerable upset. Bemidji State had really been on top of the conference, led by goalie Michael Bitzer, and they fell to Bowling Green in in that, and that ended their NCAA hopes, so the WCHA down to Bowling Green and Michigan Tech. Last but not least is a loaded NCHC tournament at the Target Center in Minneapolis. 
number one in the country, Denver, takes on North Dakota in the later game, but in the earlier game on Friday evening, it will be Western Michigan taking on Minnesota Duluth in what could be the weekend's closest matchup. At least on paper, it might be the weekend's closest matchup. Of course, the big question in the NCHC is, can anyone unseat the Pioneers who have been riding high for quite a while now and have been in that top spot in the nation for about a month, maybe a little longer than a month, while North Dakota is coming and playing their best hockey. They had slipped at points during the season. They didn't look quite as dominant as they did during their championship 2015-2016 campaign, but they're playing their best hockey at the most appropriate time, which is right now, and they come into the target center with a real chance to give Denver a run for their money, and that's before that Western Michigan-Minnesota Duluth winner goes to face Denver should they get past North Dakota. So this will be a really tough test for the Pioneers. Like Harvard, they're looking for bigger trophies. They're looking for the national championship, and it's a good time to get a taste of how good you are against the best teams in the country playing in that NCHC frozen face-off this weekend. I figured rather than predicting the conference tournaments, I'd give you a prediction even more guaranteed to be wrong. Here's my idea of who's going to be selected to the national tournament come next week. I have my number one seeds as Denver, Harvard, Minnesota, Duluth, and Minnesota, who I expect to win the Big Ten. If Minnesota wins the Big Ten, I think they're pretty much going to lock up a one seed. It would be tight between them, Western Michigan, and Massachusetts Lowell should Lowell win their conference title as well. But I think Minnesota right now has the slight edge, and they have the slight edge in the pairwise in that regard, too. My two seeds would be Massachusetts Lowell, Western Michigan, Union College, and Boston University. All of them teams that could win this tournament. All of them teams with some of the top talent in the country. My three seeds would be Cornell, Notre Dame, Penn State, and North Dakota. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about both North Dakota and maybe Penn State being on that NCAA bubble, but I think that both of them have done enough by now that even before the conference semifinals for both of them, I think they've gotten in. And my four seeds would be Providence, Ohio State, Air Force, and Michigan Tech. So... There you have it. There's my selection for what I think the NCAA tournament might look like next week. I'm going to be wrong. I'm sure I'm going to be wrong, but I figured I'd have a little bit of fun with that. Finally, before I get to my guest this week, I want to talk a little bit about the 10 Hobie Baker finalists. Those finalists, in order of how they were listed on USCHO on Wednesday during the announcement, Zach Aston Reese from Northeastern, Michael Bitzer from Bemidji State, Anders Bjork from Notre Dame, Will Butcher from Denver, the defenseman, Spencer Fu from Union College, Tyler Kelleher, the senior out of New Hampshire, Alexander Kerfoot from Harvard, one of the beanpot heroes, Tyler Shee from Minnesota, the sophomore, the lone sophomore on this list, Mike Fecchioni from Union, 
and the goalie from Canisius, Charles Williams. This year is going to be a tougher year than normal to select the Hobie Baker Trophy. I don't have a vote myself, but it's really a loaded field. This is one of the best years for goalies we've seen in a long time. Charles Williams has been fantastic, so has Michael Bitzer. Either of them could make it all the way to the Hobie hat trick, which in and of itself would be remarkable for a goaltender. I think the leader in the clubhouse is Zach Aston Reese. But the operative phrase there is in the clubhouse. That's a golf term for when someone finishes a tournament and there are still people out there who could theoretically beat that person. Well, that's true of Aston Reese. If the award were given out right now, I think he would get the honors for the best player during college hockey during a regular season and thus far in the postseason tournaments. But I think as things go on, that gives guys like Vecchioni and Kerfoot a real chance to get their foot in the door and maybe win the Hobie Baker Trophy because, well, let's face it, they get to go to the NCAA tournament and Zach Aston Reese doesn't, and that's going to be a big thing for both Vecchioni and Kerfoot as well as Will Butcher, who could be a sleeper pick to go deep into this voting because as the best player on one of the best teams in the country, maybe the best team, he really has stood out. And I've, Who knows? We'll see in the next couple of weeks. But I think the next couple of weeks will decide a lot. And if they don't decide a lot, then the award goes to Zach Aston Reese. And now on to our main story this week, the Women's Frozen Four. USCHO.com analyst Candice Horgan joined me this week to talk about the upcoming national semifinals and finals, the Patty Kazmaier Award, whether it's destiny that Wisconsin takes home both of those things, and what a repeat Frozen Four means for the women's game. We also addressed the ongoing situation with the U.S. women's national team, Candace has been with USCHO for a while. She's been covering women's college hockey for quite some time, and she had some really fantastic insight on the women's game for us this week. That'll all be coming up after a short break. I'm Tim Williams, and this is Puck University on Blog Talk Radio and the American Sports Network. Hey folks, still me, but it is the commercial break. I just wanted to tell you about the Podcast Lab network of podcasts. You've got this very podcast right here, Puck University. You also have Conference Call with Jim Williams. There's the Sunshine Boys podcast hosted by Jim Williams with Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves. There's the Pickup Game with Tim Williams. That's my other podcast that runs whenever I can get a guest for it. Podcast Lab. What is Podcast Lab? Well, you're listening to it right now. It's Puck University, as well as my other podcast, The Pickup Game, and several other podcasts we have and are bringing to you. There is Conference Call with Jim Williams, where Jim Williams and guests will go over the world of college sports at large for you. There's the Sunshine Boys podcast, where Jim Williams moderates a pair of some of Florida's best sports writers in Joe Henderson and Ira Kaufman, and of course, the college hockey world at large here on Puck University. And that would 
be the Podcast Lab Network of Podcasts. You can hear all of them on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Puck University. My guest this week is Candace Horgan from USCHO. She's going to talk to us about the Women's Frozen Four that's this weekend in St. Louis. The teams that made it, the teams that, whether they have a chance against Wisconsin, this juggernaut team right now, or against Minnesota, the two-time defending champion. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Patty Kazmaier Award. And unfortunately, we have to start on a little bit more of a down note. The U.S. Women's National Team will boycott the upcoming Women's World Championships, which are going to start at the end of this month, in Plymouth, Michigan. So the USA is the host of this. And they won't be playing because reasons they they cite an unfair wage and lack of marketing, among other issues that are reasons for this boycott. So was this news as sudden as it seemed? It really broke yesterday, but it doesn't seem this seems like it might have been building for quite a while. Uh, I mean, I think it has been building for a while. I, I don't really know all the machinations of uh you know, the contracts that have been going on with the, you know, the women in the USOC, but um, where actually it's USA Hockey, um, it, there was some definitely tit for tat going on back and forth yesterday with, you know, the women releasing their initial statement and then USA Hockey countering and then the the uh, USA women again countered that and said that, uh, you know, what the USA Hockey had posted was misleading, um, to say the least. So, uh, you know, without knowing all the contract details, it's hard to, to speak to it. But um, based on what I've seen, it does seem like, you know, USA Hockey is not providing equal support to the women's programs that it does to the men's programs. Uh, you know, and I made the mistake yesterday of going in and reading some of the comment sections of a few articles that were posted by a variety of newspapers. And, you know, they were filled with, you know, people calling these women whiners and, you know, you know, just saying, you know, it would be like saying that the WNBA should get equal salaries to the NBA players. And, I mean, let's just be clear that that is a totally different scenario. Uh, you know, just like the NWHL players getting the same salaries as NHL players would be a completely different scenario. USA Hockey is a national governing body. I mean, they are charged with – developing the game at the grassroots level and you know the the support that they give to the men's development is far it far outweighs what they give to women you know when you look at things and just as an example i mean the women talked about how the usa hockey supports the 17 and eight, i think it's the 17 and 18 year olds i'm not in front of a computer right now um but the 17 and 18 year old men's team you know, they get a 90-game schedule, they get, you know, money, and they get, you know, a lot of support. And, you know, the women, there are, there is no sort of grassroots support for the development of the women's game. And the women Olympians, who are the pinnacle of the sport for their gender, you know, they they get a six-month stipend from USA Hockey of $1,000 a month on a four-year Olympic cycle and they get nine games leading up to the Olympics, but they're expected to be centralized on a four-year cycle. So I don't really see how, as a national governing body, USA Hockey is 
meeting its mission statement in regards to women's hockey. Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm the editor for ASCHO, but um, one of my writers, Nicole Haas, pointed out a few weeks ago on International Women's Day, there was nothing from USA Hockey on their social media about the Kavmeyer Award, um, and it was left to her to kind of talk about it on her Twitter feed, and, you know, the, the Kavmeyer Award's coming up and this, that, and the other thing, and it's sponsored by USA Hockey. So, you know, I, I have trouble seeing, you know, the Hobie Baker committee being silent on, on something like that. You know, it, it does seem like there's a, a double standard going on, um, and uh, I, I think for the women, I, I don't think that they're happy about having to do this. I mean, you know, they're the defending gold medal champions. Uh, it's on their home ice. Um, but, yeah, I just I feel that, uh, you know, it's a sad thing. Um, you know, obviously the women are the defending gold medal champions, and it's on U.S. soil. So the last time they played this championship on U.S. soil a few years ago, they actually were the runner-ups. So I'm sure they're, you know, they really want to defend their championship and they want to defend it on home ice. But, you know, I, I think they just got to a point where, they felt they had to take action, and, and I mean, this is this is played out again and again in women's sports. I mean, you know, this is a soccer that this is a uh, an issue that the women's soccer team has been fighting on and off for 20 years, um, and, and even longer. You know, they threatened to go on strike before the Olympics in I think it was 1995 um, because of lack of support from their national governing body. And you know, then they've been involved in a dispute over the last year as well with their national governing body. So it, it is uh, it is what it is, and I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out. But you know, I think that the the players, I know they want to play, but I, I feel like they've gotten to a place where they just needed to take a stand, or they felt they were going to continue to to have these problems crop up again and again. What I think is really, it stood out to me when I was reading all this yesterday, that the women don't get paid outside of the Olympics. For They kept saying for three and a half of the four years, they don't get paid, mm-hmm. which is really remarkable and really shocking. Yeah, it is. You know, and I mean, I, I know one player tweeted yesterday, and, she, and she's a a former Kazmaier Award finalist, and she tweeted about how she and her husband were discussing whether or not they could afford financially for her to still pursue an Olympic gold medal, you know, and and she would obviously be a very valuable contributor to this team. But, you know, I mean, if Team USA, if USA Hockey is expecting these women to centralize for four years and train and train and train, you know, in the hopes of getting the gold medal, you know, I think there needs to be some concurrent support for that. And um, I, I don't know the uh, the details out of Canada as much. Um, you know, I know some of I know that the Canadian women do get more support from their federation um, because of the government's involvement than the USA women do. But I don't know how much more that level of support is. Uh, you know, but this this does go back to. You know, even if you look at the, the, again, if you look at USA Hockey's mission, it doesn't say that its mission is to develop men's hockey at the grassroots level. It says it's to develop develop hockey at the grassroots level. 
and it seems to me that there should be more of a push and more of a support by our national governing body for the development of hockey to develop women's programs, especially since more and more you've got players from other countries coming to the United States to play college hockey to further develop their game before going back to play for their national federations in places like the World Championships and the Olympics. That's a very good point. And, of course, the Olympics are coming up next year. So with this tournament, if the U.S. doesn't play that, that's a lot less practice they'll have, and that will actually really impact the team coming into the Olympics as well. So just in terms of winning and losing games, this is a really tough thing to take for U.S. hockey. And they're going to have to answer a lot of really tough questions now. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I'm going to be very interested to see what happens. I, you know, and who knows? Maybe you know USA Hockey will, you know, come to the table with what the women consider as a fair offer, and they'll be on the ice in Michigan in a couple of weeks. But you know, I'm not hopeful of that just based on on something that they said in their statement yesterday, which is that regardless of how this plays out, they intend to field a quote-unquote competitive team, which you know, to me implies that they're just going to decide to play scab players. You know, and I think it was Hillary Knight who tweeted, you know, I'd like to see, you know, good luck with that. I'd like to see you do that. Getting back to happier news, of course, this is the weekend of the women's Frozen Four. Your final four teams, Minnesota, Clarkson, Boston College, and Wisconsin. On Friday evening, Boston College and Wisconsin kick things off at 5 o'clock Central Time in St. Louis. Minnesota is the two-time defending champion, but Wisconsin is a clear favorite coming in. They lead the country in offense, they lead the country in defense, and they have a tremendous goaltending advantage. Yeah, I don't think anybody would deny that Wisconsin is the favorite coming into this tournament. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, a lot of I mean, Minnesota's won four of the last five national titles, and the one that they lost, uh, that they didn't win, they lost in the in the final championship game against Clarkson in 2014. So Minnesota's played in the last five national championship games. Um, you know, and part of that has been, you know, they've had players, you know. Hannah Brandt, Amanda Kessel, um, players like that, uh, Nora Ratu, um, you know, for a few years. So, you know, they've, they've just had this, these truly elite, you know, what I call the once-in-a-lifetime players in their program over the last four or five years. And a lot of those players have moved on. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it's not to say that uh, they're still not talented. I mean, they've got some amazing players, you know, Donnie Camaresi, um, until she got hurt, um, but she is back in the lineup. And Sarah Potomac and Kelly Tanik, you know, um, you know. So you do have to look at what Minnesota retained and not look at what they lost. But the other thing, you know, is they they had a new goaltender this year um, in Sydney Peters. And you know, I know Brad Frost said on a call this week that he felt that. Uh, one of the things that's really helped Minnesota over the last few weeks has been, you know, that Peters has really grown into the role as a starter, something that she's never had. Um, 
but then you look at Wisconsin, and you know they've got Des um, Renee Desbians, who's uh, probably the favorite to win the Patty Kazmaier Award, and uh, has broken or not even broken, just shattered every goaltending record there is. Um, you know, Wisconsin's always played very good team defense. It, you know, Anne uh makes the saves when she needs to, but Wisconsin as a defensive unit doesn't let it, the opposing teams get that many shots anyway. And, you know, then they've got players like, you know, Annie Pankowski and, you know, Emily Clark and Sydney McKibben and Sarah Nurse, um, you know, just these very good offensive players as well. So, um, yeah, I didn't think you can deny that Wisconsin's a favorite, but, you know, you still have to play the game. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, and there's no team in this tournament that knows what it's like to be a heavy favorite and not come home with the trophy more than Boston College. They came in last year undefeated, and they still lost to Minnesota in the final. Would you say that Boston College losing a few games during the season this year was actually a good thing for them, that they they saw some flaws in their club that they didn't necessarily see last year and their team when they were coming in on fire? Well, you know, first I just want to, to clarify something that you said. I wouldn't say that Boston College came in as a heavy favorite last year. I mean, yes, they were undefeated, but, you know, they hadn't played a team like Minnesota or Wisconsin last year. Um, I, I, they were a favorite, yes, but it wasn't that they were a heavy favorite. I think the last time a heavy favorite loss was in 2014 when Clarkson beat Minnesota. Um, so, uh, and, and I, you know, Katie Crowley has, has stated that her players needed to learn to deal with a little adversity. I mean, they started the season 0-1-1, and, and for a lot of those players, you know, they weren't used to losing or, or even being in close games. I mean, and again, like I was saying with Minnesota, they had those players like, you know, Amanda Kessel and Hannah Brandt and Naraku and, and some others. You know, Boston College had Alex Kessinger. You know, and you know, those are all world players. I mean, you know, having Carpenter on your team in the women's college game is the equivalent of having Sidney Crossy um, on your team if you're a college team. Um, you know, she's one of the best in the world. Um, so, you know, they were used to not just beating teams, but beating teams badly because they could just swill. I'm pretty sure last year their team averaged over five goals a game. You know, and, and when you don't have those offensive talents, um, not to say that they don't have scores. I mean, they've got Katrine Lonergan and Delaney Polinskis and Andy Anastas has really stepped up. And, you know, then they've got uh, Kristen Capizano and Kenzie Kent and, you know, McKenna Newkirk. So, um, but I think to a certain extent, a lot of those players were used to playing a secondary role and they knew that if, they got into a close game, which didn't happen too often. They could count on Carpenter and Haley Skrupa to bail them out, just like you know they did last year when Clarkson took them to OT in the first game of the Frozen Four. So I, I think that those players did need to learn how to not get not panic when things got tight and and be willing to trust themselves. And I think you've seen that happen over the last month or so, you know, where they won the bean pot and then 
they won the Hockey East tournament by winning two overtime goals, and then in the last week they they pretty much blew out St. Lawrence. In that Hockey East final, they took all seven shots in the overtime period. Northeastern came back mm-hmm. late in the third with a real big surge, but once it got to overtime, Boston College was in control. I'd like to touch on something nationally that only one team outside of the current WCHA has ever won the national championship, and that's Clarkson a few years ago. Would you say the women's game is having more parity these years, or is it really getting to plateau? I mentioned, or I, I spoke about this with Hockey East's Director of Communications, Brian Smith, a few weeks ago, and over in Hockey East, they're a lot happier with their competition level, but then you look at the Frozen Four and you have familiar faces. Yeah, you know, um, Nicole Haas, who's a, who's a USCHO columnist, she and I uh, discussed this at length in our Wednesday Women column this week, uh, so I would encourage your listeners to go read that. Um, it's, you know, there's a, there's a hard way to look at this. You know, um, yes, there was more competition this year. There were there were games that were closer. There was, there were some surprise losses, um, you know, ones that you definitely didn't expect. Um, by all the teams Um, but then when it comes down to it it's the same four teams in the Frozen Four this year as it was last year Um, three of these teams were in the Frozen Four the year before that in 2014 three of these teams were in the Frozen Four before that in 2015 and 14 so you know I think if you go back to 2011, at least two of these teams who are in this Frozen and Four have been in the Frozen Four every year since then, and three of them have been in four um, in Boston College, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, and then Clarkson's been in uh, three of them. So, yeah, part of it is, you know, when you have an opportunity to play with the truly elite players, you know, you take it if you're a young player who's coming up through the game. And I'll never forget something uh, Air Force coach Frank Saratori told me a few years back. We were talking about, uh, you know, Atlantic hockey and Air Force's ability to compete at the national level. And, you know, he said, you know, we're not a reload program. You know, he said Boston College, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Denver, you know, North Dakota, those are what I call reload programs. He said, you know, they just they lose players to the NHL early and they just reload. They've got players in the pipeline, you know, they get that talent level, you know, and then a program like Air Force, you know, relies on being able to get players who come in and they stay for all four years and then, you know, by the time they're seniors, those players are very good and they're very developed and the team is playing well and that's why those programs compete at the national level. But, you know, I think in the women's game, you're still seeing a little bit of the fact that, you know, not only are these programs reload programs, but, you know, they are getting, they they are deep. You know, they're getting all these best players again and again. So, you know, but at the same time, I mean, then you look at, you know, hockey, for instance, yes, it was very competitive for Vermont, took, 
Boston College to overtime once in the regular season and then again in the Frozen Four, or the Hockey's Tournament, not the Frozen Four, sorry. Um, and then Northeastern came on strong at the end. They made the NCAA Tournament last year, and you know I think a lot of people thought Northeastern would be down because Kendall Coyne graduated, but um, you know they had some other players, you know like McKenna Brand and Denisa Krasova, and you know their their starting goaltender was back, Brittany Bogalski, and um, so you're seeing these these other programs step up. I think the, the issue is that they're not able to do so quite enough consistently yet. And I think I think the depth is still growing, and I think you'll see more competition um, as the years go on. Um, but I don't think we're quite there yet. I think you do still have a sort of a stratification level where you know you've got you've got to divide between the very best programs and then, you know, kind of the ones below it. Yeah, that's that's still definitely true. One thing I would notice, though, is that there are more competitive teams, not necessarily teams that could take on a Clarkson, a Boston College, or a Minnesota, but they can play with each other. They can really compete. You know, Hockey East, I've mentioned it a couple of times, the two through six teams were very tightly bunched. And you're starting to yeah, see that sure. in other conferences, too, that the middle teams in the conferences are starting to bunch up a little more. And it's not just the one team dominating everyone else. Um, that, yes. That's been a huge yeah. move forward. Yeah, I think you're definitely seeing that. Um, not as much in the WCHA where they're really – well. Let me clarify that. So in the WCHA, yeah, in the WCHA, you've got a clear divide. You've got the top four teams, which are Wisconsin, Minnesota, Minnesota, Duluth, and North Dakota, and then you've got the second-tier teams, which is Ohio State, Bemidji State, St. Cloud State, and uh, Minnesota State. Um, you know, and those bottom four teams were not close to challenging the top four teams in terms of consistency and being able to earn enough points to get home ice. Um, however, you know, they all played those top teams competitively and, and, you know, at times gave them fits. It was just that they couldn't sustain it enough um, to get that. So there's that sort of divide in the WCHA that's a little bit more clear than I think in some of the other conferences, but, um, you know, I think you're starting to see these other programs rise up. I mean, yes, Hockey East is a clear example. You had you know, New Hampshire, Connecticut, um, Vermont, Providence, um, and they were even very tight with Boston University as well. Um, you know, where where three through seven or three yeah, three through six really, there was some question as to who was going to be on home ice. You know, even into the last weekend of the season, and then. You know, in the ECAC, you know, there was Clarkson and St. Lawrence very clearly delineated at the top, and then Cornell kind of right below there. Um, and then uh, from four to seven, really, you had, you know, teams that were very tightly bunched in Princeton, Colgate, Quinnipiac, um, you know, and even Yale and Rensselaer. So, uh, yeah, I think you're starting to see that happen more and more. So Minnesota and Clarkson, the late game on Friday, 
Minnesota comes in again, two-time defending champions. Clarkson's the last team to win it that isn't Minnesota. And this will be a very interesting matchup. You have last year's Frozen Four most, most outstanding player in Sarah Potomac playing from Minnesota as well. She's one of the players they did retain. But Clarkson mm -hmm. comes in. They're not the home team. This is a neutral ice, but they're the higher seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, you know, Clarkson is a, a very tough team. I mean, Clarkson played Wisconsin for two games uh, back in, I believe it was November. It might have been October, um, up in uh, Potsdam, and uh, you know, took Wisconsin to overtime in the first game. Um, you know, Clarkson's got a very good goaltender in Shea Tiley, um, and then they've got you know, some outstanding scores and, you know, players like Kaylee Mercer, who's a Patty Kazmaier Award finalist, and Genevieve Bannon. Um, uh, Gable has come on strong as a scorer in the playoffs. She's been a really productive force for them. Um, and, you know, they, some of these players have that belief in themselves that dates back to winning the national championship. And, you know, just to point out, Clarkson isn't, is not only the last team not named Minnesota to win the national championship, Clarkson is the only non-WCHA team to ever win the national championship. They're the only team that's ever broken through the Wisconsin-Minnesota-Minnesota-Duluth hegemony, which the three teams have won every national championship since its inception um, back in, in uh, 2001. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I think the Clarkson-Minnesota game is going to be extremely competitive. Uh, it wouldn't see, surprise me to see it go to overtime. Um, you know, some of the question for Minnesota will be, you know, whether the presence of Danny Kemmer or Essie um, in the lineup will help elevate them and, and give them an emotional boost, much the way Emmanuel Kessel's return to the lineup last year helped Minnesota, you know, overcome kind of a rough patch and then go on to win the national championship. So um, I, I really think that game is going to be, honestly, both games on Friday are going to be outstanding. Um, you know, and, and extra time wouldn't surprise me for either of them. Listeners will find a link to Wednesday Women column that you co-authored. On that, you mentioned you predicted a national championship game of Wisconsin against Minnesota. Now, you've mentioned both of these games might be pretty tight, but has your opinion changed on that in the in the day since? No. Oh. More so with with Minnesota and Clarkson, maybe, um, but there is something to be said for experience. And you know, Minnesota went on the road against uh, Minnesota Duluth last weekend and won a very tight game. Um, and yeah, the Gophers are just used to being able to come through. So I. I think it'll be tight, but I think for now, yes, I, I still predict Wisconsin against Minnesota for the national championship. Switching over quickly to the Patty Kazmaier Award, it looks like it's really against to lose, and she's had such a fantastic season in goal. These awards in all forms of hockey, they don't always go to goalies. In fact, it's pretty rare that they do, but the season she's had, is there really 
anyone else that could take the Patty Kazmaier from her that, that has an equal case or, or a case you could talk yourself into? Uh, well, in those fights to the seasons that were, you know, put in by uh, Clarkson's Kaylee Mercer or Minnesota's Louis Flores daughter, but uh, no. Um, uh, I don't see how how you can deny that what Anne Renee has done has just been uh, another level. Um, and part of it also is that, you know, as good as Mercer and Stalder have been, um, they are not at the level of production that we've seen from recent forwards um, in terms of their numbers. Uh, when you compare them to some of the recent winners like, you know, Kendall Coyne last year and Alex Carpenter the year before that, um, and uh, Amanda Kessel in 2013, um, you know, they were really – you know, putting in numbers that were just, I mean, they were hard to grasp. I mean, they were all triple-digit point scores. Um, you know, 2014, it was won by Jeannie Lee Retray, um, and that's kind of the closest analog to what you have this year where, you know, Retray was an outstanding player, but she wasn't putting up quite the numbers that you'd seen from Kessel the year before um, or that you saw from Carpenter the year after Retray won it. But, um you know, you've got Mercer and Stalder, and they've both put up very good offensive numbers. Um, but it's not—it's not the type of all-world thing that you might expect for. And that's really what I think you would have needed to see this year for Desbians not to win it, um, especially since this is the second straight year that Don Renee has put in—you know—these just incredible numbers in net. And yes. You know, she doesn't face the same number of shots as some other goaltenders um, because Wisconsin plays such good team defense. But, you know, when you look at the number of shutouts she's garnered and, and the save percentage and the goals against, I I just don't see how um, Anne Renee doesn't win it. And, and if she doesn't win it, I don't know that a goaltender ever will ever again um, after, you know, the, the back-to-back season she's put in. It really seems like she's earned that title. It's oh, yeah. I, I mean, she's, you know, there is something to be said for the value to a team. And in that sense, I think you could make a strong case for both Mercer and Stalder to be slightly more important to their team's success than Desbian's is. Um, Just because you know, Wisconsin's so loaded. Yeah, just because they're so loaded and they're they are I mean, Mark Johnson has made team defense a cornerstone of his teams at Wisconsin and they they have that year in and year out. And you know, Anne Renee did get hurt for a few games in the middle of the year and, and the backup stepped in and, you know, hardly missed a beat in terms of, you know wins to their team, you know. I don't think you could say that Wisconsin wouldn't be in the position it's in or wouldn't be in the Frozen Four without Anne Renee. Um, I think you could definitely say that about Clarkson without Mercer, and I I definitely think you could say that about Duluth without Stalder, that Minnesota Duluth would not have had the success it did this year, um, you know, advancing to the WCHA final face-off final against Wisconsin um, if Stalder isn't in the lineup. Um, although I guess we'll find that out next year when Stalder graduates um, because, I mean, Duluth does still have uh, a lot of talent in its lineup and has been experiencing resurgence. So, um, 
I think Mercer and Stalder are more important to their teams, uh, possibly, than Anne Renee is. But um, Anne Renee's success over the entire year is just something that you can't ignore. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And you, when you have a goalie that good, it makes the team seem like a juggernaut, even if they weren't as good as they are offensively and as good as they are defensively. It has to be in every skater's mind on the other side of the ice. How do you get one past her? How do you get one past Anne mm-hmm. Ray? And people haven't figured that out for about two years. So it would be surprising yeah. to see her not take it home. You know, I think you can really see the importance of, of what sh- the knowledge that Anne Renee is in net brings to Wisconsin if you look at the final face-off game against Minnesota Duluth um, because Duluth countered with an outstanding goalie in Maddie Rooney who was, you know, getting peppered and she was just stopping everything left left and right, you know, things that she could barely see through, you know, a period and a half um, before fatigue took over because, you know, Duluth had played a double OT game the day before against Minnesota just to advance to that final face-off game. The Wisconsin players, you know, you talked to them and they said that, you know, they were kind of laughing on the bench about, you know, some of the saves that Rooney was making, but there was never any sense of panic. You know, yes, they were down a goal, but, you know, they knew that it was unlikely that Duluth was going to get a two-goal lead, and they figured eventually they would break through against Rooney. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, by the end of the game, it was a fairly comfortable 4-1 margin. So, you know, whereas some other teams might get into, like, a a panicky state if they're down halfway through a game, feeling like they might need to press to get that extra goal, Wisconsin just has the confidence that, yeah, and Renee may have let one in, but she's not going to let another one in, and we can take our time and and we'll break through eventually. Finally, it's hard not to put you on the spot on this. Does Wisconsin take the title home as well? So they come home with all the hardware given out this weekend. Uh, if I were to have to place a bet on it, yes, I would place a bet on Wisconsin. But um, I, I, I don't think it's guaranteed. I mean, I think they're a clear favorite, and they're a clear favorite for a reason. And I think there's a very good chance that they do take home another national championship, their first since 2011. Um, First, they've got to get through a a tough Boston College team that's playing with a lot of belief in itself um, and probably feels like it's got something to prove after, you know, going 40-0 last year and then losing the last game of the season against Minnesota in the championship game. Um, And then they'll play uh, in the championship game if they do beat Boston College. They'll play either Minnesota or Clarkson, um, both of whom played Wisconsin very tough, uh, you know, both of whom took Wisconsin to overtime in the regular season, um, and Minnesota beat Wisconsin once earlier this year. So, you know, it's by no means guaranteed. And and, uh, if it is Wisconsin against Minnesota, you know, Minnesota will have the knowledge that it's ended Wisconsin's season the last three years in the Frozen Four, admittedly in the year, the game before it in the semifinals. But, you know, will that play into the psyche of the Badgers players if it is the Gophers that they face instead of Clarkson? Um, who knows? And if it's Clarkson, they'll have the you know, knowledge that they they did 
getting upset against a, a favored team back in 2014, and you know maybe they can do it again. So I lean towards Wisconsin, but I I I don't think it's say the uh, the certainty I felt when Minnesota faced Boston University in 2013, for instance. Yeah, it's a tight Frozen Four this year. These are also four of the most well-supported teams in women's college hockey. And as we talk about, you know, we started this conversation with this difficult issue facing the U.S. women's national team and marketing and how, how they're supported. These are teams that are used to a lot of support. And in a way, that's a good way to earn your way to the Frozen Four. So... It's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see these four teams come up against each other. Candace Horgan, thank you so much for coming on. You can read her blogs on USCHO. Her latest piece, co-authored with Nicole Haas, came up on Wednesday. She'll be covering the Frozen Four. She'll be covering everything else for USCHO. Thank you so much for coming on this week. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Candace Horgan editor at USCHO, and the USCHO itself. When we cite rankings here at Puck University, we always use theirs. If you're listening to this from our Blog Talk radio page, you can find Candace's latest writing linked below. Since I asked her to make a pick, I'll do so myself, but it's the same one. It's Wisconsin over a tough Minnesota team in the final in yet another installment of the greatest rivalry going on on the women's side of the game. That's our show for this week. Stay tuned. I'll be at the Hockey East semifinal and final this weekend, and by the end of the weekend, I'll bring you a Hockey East special edition straight from Boston. And of course, in next week's installment, I'll be breaking down the NCAA tournament draw and who will survive at the regionals to go on to the Frozen Four. Thanks for joining me, folks. I'm Tim Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at TimWritesSports, and this has been Puck University. As always, keep your head up and your hits clean.